0: Right about the time of our nation's bicentennial in 1976, Dr. James Dobson, who was a psychologist there in Southern California, wrote a book called Dare to Discipline. It was an interesting book, and at that time it really caught a lot of people by surprise. And it caught attention all across the country. Dr. Dobson began to speak all across the country in various Christian venues and everywhere he went. He got an audience. Then his publisher decided that this was very important and decided to underwrite a radio program. That radio program began in Pasadena or Arcadia, California, called Focus on the Family. It was a 15-minute weekly program. And he would record it and then would send in the tapes to uh, be edited and then published and aired across the country. Well, gradually, as many of you know, that program began to be aired every day. In fact, it was a half hour every day, and currently it's aired on about 1,400 stations across the country. That was Focus on the Family. It gave birth, actually, to an organization called Focus on the Family. It became very, very well known as one of the strongest cultural warrior organizations in the country. At that time, my daughter, my oldest daughter, and Dr. James Dobson's oldest son, actually were dating at the age of 16 there in Pasadena, Arcadia, California. Dr. Dobson was our Sunday school teacher for a while, and when I was going to law school, he put his arm around my shoulder and said, Chuck, just don't forget your family. Just don't forget your family. Well, I have never forgotten my family, and Dr. Dobson was one of the first donors to Save America Ministries. I still have a copy of that check because it meant a lot to me. Dr. Dobson focused on the family for many, many years. Interestingly, about 10 years ago, he joined us on the air from the floor of the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in, I believe it was then, in Nashville, and he made an interesting statement that really caught a lot of people by surprise. He said, Chuck, we've lost the culture wars. Now, here was a man that was reputed to be one of the strongest culture warriors in the country, certainly from a Christian viewpoint. But he said, we lost the culture wars. Well, they dismissed him from focus on the family, the board of directors. They said he was too strong. And so... After having led that organization for something like 40 years, he launched another radio program called Family Talk. Right there in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And he's been there, engaged in Family Talk, for I think about 8 to 10 years now. And at the age of 85, continues to carry on. I consider him a longtime friend and dear brother in our efforts together to try to make a difference across the country. But here's the interesting thing. As we have focused on the family for so many, many years, in fact, almost two generations, the family actually has deteriorated, not because Dr. Dobson focused on the family, but because of the deterioration factors in our families. So the question is, should we just continue to focus on the family, or is there something else that we need to focus on? We were supposed to have a guest join us live here today on Viewpoint. In fact, a co-host of Dr. Dobson's Family Talk. Well, he wrote a book, Dr. Tim Clinton wrote a book called Focus on the Future. I think it was a takeoff from Focus on the Family. Focus on the Future. And today on Viewpoint, we want to talk about what it means to focus on the future. Nobody knows exactly the future. A wonderful song says, I don't know about tomorrow. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds the future and I know who holds my hand. Who holds your hand? Are you holding the hands of your family? Are you holding the hands of your wife, your your uh, husband? Are you holding the hands of your neighbors? Whose hand are you holding, and is God actually holding your hand, or are you holding His? And what does the future look like? If we are to focus on the future, we have to look beyond today, because today was tomorrow yesterday, believe it or not, and that's a very short period of time. Unfortunately, so many of us are so busy looking at just tomorrow, or even today, that we forget about the future. As the song says, the future is not ours to see, K, Sarah Sarah. But that's not a biblical view. No, we are supposed to be future-oriented. We are supposed to live without anxiety today. But we also should have a focus on the future. But what should that focus look like? You see, that's the problem. That's one of the big problems that we have. What should our focus on the future look like? What part of the future are we looking at? Why are we looking at the future? What is it that we're looking for in the future? What kind of a future are we really preparing for? That really is the question. That's the most important question perhaps we can ask today. What... Are we preparing for in the future? I think many people believe that we have been given, uh, in one way or another, a reprieve for a brief period of time. To be able to, shall we say, reconnoiter, to recollect, to collect ourselves as a people in this country and to reassess our lives, to reassess where we're going, to reassess, reassess our purposes and our plans, our perspectives, and so on. But what is the fruit coming from that reassessment? Is the reprieve actually producing something redemptive? Are we really expecting to restore the United States of America to supposedly its former glory as we envision it in our minds and our hearts, is that what our real goal is? Is that what the focus on the future should look like? Or might it include doing what we can to build the future here in our country, but also have a much, much bigger perspective about an eternal future? All of that here today on Viewpoint. And so I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Is there hope for our troubled land? How about the family? Where does that fit? And how about men? There's a war on men out there. We know there's a war on men. But what are we doing about it? And why does it matter? Is there hope for the healing of our souls? How can we stand guard for the next generation And if there's an an effort out there to exterminate the faith, what do we do? Are you and I preparing a bride made ready for the coming of the Lord? All of those right here on Viewpoint today Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's almost inevitable that many would be comparing the United States of America and its historical trajectory with that of ancient Rome. First, there was a Roman Republic, and then it became the empire with emperors that actually became virtual deities, at least from their own viewpoint, and demanded that they be seen as deities from the perspective of the Roman citizenship. But ultimately, as Rome grew in its power and its prosperity, it also began to deteriorate. Its deterioration came from the inside out, largely. And as a result of its spread of its power, it actually required massive taxes of its citizens. Oppressive taxes of its citizens in order to keep the Roman legions functioning out there in the hinterlands to control the Roman Empire. Within the soul of Russia, excuse me, the soul of uh, Rome deteriorated. It deteriorated gradually over time, until gradually the deterioration was so great, homosexuality became uh, exceedingly prominent, the deterioration of the soul of morality deteriorated to the point where there was almost no anchor for the soul in Rome, Christian or otherwise. In fact, the only real anchor for the soul in ancient Rome became the Christians who came up and were persecuted horrifically until the time of Charlemagne, excuse me, until the time of uh, Constantine. And so, we see ourselves very similar to what happened with ancient Rome. Interestingly, the barbarians came in and they began to attack, like guerrilla warfare began to attack on the outskirts of ancient Rome. And they gradually beat their way in and through the gates of Rome just as we are seeing the assault coming in from our borders today. Some of it being welcomed in order for ulterior motives, power, perks, and position within our own government. So we are becoming the engines of our own destruction, aren't we? It's unbelievable. When you look at it from a, with an honest heart and an honest mind, it's hard to imagine what we're actually doing to ourselves and the kind of leaders that we actually have voted in, ostensibly, to power supposedly to lead us, and to guide us, and to protect and to preserve the nation, to be and become the people that, well, God would have us to be and become. And then within that nation, we have the church. The church has always been seen as the lighthouse of the nation, hasn't it? But if the light goes out in the lighthouse, if the windows of the lighthouse become darkened and enshrouded, by the smoke of sin and unrighteousness, even in God's own house, where is the hope of the light that's supposed to be shining through the church and professing Christians in our time? And then as we see all this deterioration taking place, more rapidly than anyone would ever have believed, we then see a rise of ingratitude and unrighteousness occurring even among our youngest generations, the millennials and Generation Z. And so we live in an age of ingratitude. Some Americans are feeling uh, anger and disrespect for our country, even though they live in the safest and most opportunity-filled nation on the earth, in spite of our history. And as Dr. Tim Clinton, the uh, President of the American Association of Christian Counselors and co-host of Dr. uh, James Dobson's Family Talk said, no one has expressed this problem better than Abraham Lincoln. Remembering back on March 30th, 1863, Lincoln rebuked, rebuked his generation for the same kind of ingratitude, and here's what he said. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand that preserved us in peace, and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us, and we vainly imagine in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. We can relate to that, can't we? Particularly as we point to a period of time in which that is frequently quoted a time of focused thanksgiving For our ingratitude in this country. So the question then is, can we forge a better future? Can we forge a better future, and if so, how? What would be the building blocks? What must take place in order to forge a better future? That's the focus of Dr. uh, Tim Clinton's book, Focus on the Future, And uh, it is a hardbound book, just released, a $25 book, yours for $22, on our website today. $22. It is a very positive book, a book that is hopefully going to engender some hope among those who read for what we can and must do and be if we're to see a better future forged. $22 $22 on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Again, the title of the book, Focus on the Future. Focus on the Future. Again, when we go back to... Uh, The founding of Focus on the Family in 1977, which was uh, the year that I began running the second time for the state legislature there in Southern California. It began there with its flagship radio station by the same name, Focus on the Family, on KKLA in Los Angeles. That, my friends, is where this program began, right there in the very same milieu. In fact, it was one of the early supporters of this program who actually built the first headquarters there in Arcadia, California, for focus on the family, Steve Lazarian, a dear brother. Dr. Dobson was both a prophet and a patriarch for the family, and the role that the family was going to make and had made in the heart of American culture. Unfortunately, the family in spite of all of his efforts, has deteriorated dramatically. The statistics prove it. So what can we do today? What can you do? Simple things, perhaps, that we can do to begin to wage war against those who are waging war against the family. What positive things can you and I do other than writing letters and sending emails and so on, how can we lay a new and fresh foundation for our families? We might not be able to win the world, we might be able not to win the, the nation, but at least we can deal with our own family, can't we? Which reminds me of what happened in 1993 when we formed Save America Ministries. I went across the street from my law office there in Pasadena, California, to the Large Lake Avenue Congregational Church for a special meeting concerning our country. There, I ran into a former professor of mine from Azusa Pacific University, and he asked me, I said, Chuck, what are you now doing with yourself? And I said, well, we just formed Save America Ministries as a nonprofit organization. And his acerbic response went like this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, Well, at least you didn't bite off more than you could chew. (laughs) He's right. You know, uh, I can't save America. You can't save America. Dr. James Dobson obviously couldn't save America. There would be monstrous hubris, chutzpah, in thinking that we could. On the other hand, we're called to do what we can with what we have. And so... We have done that here on this program for the past uh twenty six and a half years, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. And one of the things that we focused on is the family. Now, one of the things that I want to specifically encourage all of our listeners to today, and the very same thing that Dr. Kit Clint excuse me, Tim Clinton has encouraged us to through his book Focus on the Future, and that is the effect of the family dinner. The effect of the family dinner. He calls it the amazing family dinner. Now, rather than try to uh, regurgitate exactly what he has said, I'm going to uh, apply my own experience, my own thoughts concerning the family dinner. And I'm going to do it in the words of my own wife, who, after 55 Fifty-five and a half years of marriage. Just yesterday morning, as we spent time in the Word together, said Chuck. You always were there for our children, always. Now I was very busy. I was a practicing attorney, had my own law office, was very very busy, had a going law practice, and indeed, on top of that, was an, uh, on served on several boards, a Christian. Uh, several christian uh, educational institutions and so on spoke uh, throughout southern california translating principles of the kingdom from a businessman and lawyers lawyers viewpoint on the other hand as far as i was concerned the most important ministry i had was my family and so notwithstanding the busyness notwithstanding the need to keep the billable hours up at the law practice i try to always be home by about six thirty or seven o'clock and my wife would wait And she would make sure that we had family dinner together. Always. Almost always. Now, what's the purpose of that? No televisions, no cell phones, no iPads, no distractions, just dinner together, not around a television, but around the table. Why is that so important? Well, it's important because even Jesus, when he was dealing with his disciples, and particularly when he was dealing with difficult issues concerning his disciples, he always dealt with them around a meal. They broke bread together. There's something about breaking bread together that warms the heart. It unifies a group or a people together, and especially a family. When things intervene, like too much busyness, too many sports, uh, video games, cell phones, televisions, all of these different things intervene. And what they do is steal the legacy that we want for our families. They're stealing the peace in our homes. They're stealing the ability of us to build. You talk about building back better. We need to build better from the first time. And the way we do that is by doing it God's way. We cannot continue to yield to the pressures of the culture that include all of these technological so-called advances good as they may be, and allow those to break down the most fundamental relationships that we have. If we really want to see our culture change, it has to begin with the culture within our families. And the simplest way to begin that is by insisting on and forming a Culture of meals together every single evening, at the least. Now, with our families, then, in proper orientation, it also sets a tone for us to be able to forgive and avoid the poison of bitterness, you know, a root of bitterness, Uh, digs deep and destroys not only the people that are bitter, but everybody around them. And so families and marriages actually set the stage for more willingness and likelihood to forgive. So it's very important. Our marriages are critically important. God established them as the very smallest institution of the church itself, the microcosm of the church itself, a husband, a wife, and the Holy Spirit. So if we really want to see things change in the culture, we have to start in the culture of our homes and our relationship. When we get back, we want to talk a little bit more about men. What's going on? Why the war against men? Get a copy of this wonderful book, Dr. Tim Tins, uh, Clinton, Focus on the Future. A hardbound book just out. A $25 book, yours for $22 on our website, saveus.org. We'll be back.
1: There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org.
0: Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. We're taking a look today on Focus on the Future. What can we do practically, reasonably, within our own minds and hearts, in the walls of our own household, our own attitudes, our own actions, things that we have control over, what can we do to set the stage for a future that we would want our children and grandchildren to live in? On terra firma, that is on this land then beyond that thinking way beyond this land to realize that there's another land no it's not uh, terra firma as we know it it's called the promised land it's the euphemism for the kingdom of god preparing us and our children our grandchildren and those that follow them, for the kingdom of God. That is the bigger future. That's the future we must not uh, look away from because that is the real future that God has in mind. Yes, he is not uh, unconcerned about our present future, but he is more concerned about our eternal future. And if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of a major part of the motivation for getting it on with what we need to do today. Now, you heard in the break a reference to information and materials concerning hospitality. Dr. Tim Clinton, in his book, Focus on the Future, puts special emphasis on hospitality. Hospitality. And I want to uh, emphasize that right now, because this is a very, very big issue. A very, very big issue. You may not think so, but apparently God thinks so. How do we know God thinks so? Well, let me give you a short version of it. In the book of Titus and also Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and also to Titus concerning leadership in the body of Christ. Now, when we talk about leadership in the body of Christ, we're talking about anyone who aspires and will be involved in any level of leadership, and that would be whether it's a pastor, uh, whether it's a uh, Sunday school teacher, whether it's an elder, uh, whatever the role might be. He said every single person who aspires to a level of leadership in the body of Christ overseeing must be first given to hospitality. He didn't say gifted in. He said given to hospitality. In other words, it's something that we have to give ourselves to. And that's because it is endemic. It is, uh, shall we say, ingrained in what it means to be born again. And we'll explain that in just a moment. In addition to that, Paul said, you also must be a lover of hospitality. So it's not something you do because you ought to do it. It's something you do because you want to do it. Hmm. So let me ask you a question. Very simple. Do you give yourself to hospitality? We're not talking about entertainment. Right now, I'm not even talking about your home talking about your heart. And are you a lover of hospitality? A man might out, out there might say, "Well, that's women's work." Oh no. God actually killed a man because of his inhospitality. Did you know that? He did. It's right there in the Bible. So, Lest you should think this only applies to people who are in leadership in the body of Christ, let me dispel that myth. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about the characteristics of the normative Christian life. And among those characteristics, he says this, given to hospitality. In other words, every believer If they're a real believer, if they're truly following the Lord and have the Spirit of Christ, they will give themselves to hospitality. Not be gifted in, given to. Now, why is that? Here's the reason. Because hospitality is at the very heart of the gospel. Without hospitality, there is no gospel. Here's why. God, the Father, in the fullness of time, saw that we were estranged from him. And hospitality at at its very foundation means to reach to strangers. And in this world we live, everybody is a virtual stranger. Even husbands and wives are strangers from themselves. Parents are strangers from their children. It seems like the whole world is estranged. And technology is not helping that matter. They call it social media, but actually it's doing just the opposite. So here's God in the fullness of time, seeing that we were estranged from him, and so with his great heart of hospitality, he opened it to extend his hand of hospitality into what seemed to be a God-forsaken place called planet Earth and extending his hand, he sent forth in the fullest of time his only begotten Son, full of grace and truth, to extend a message to you and to me. What was that message? Well, in John chapter 14, Jesus said this, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you might be also. Jesus extended an invitation to the Father's home, That's why it is absolutely an essential ingredient to the Christian faith to be a doer of hospitality. Now, let's put this in the greater context. The Apostle Peter said this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, use hospitality without grudging. Peter put hospitality in the context of preparing for the future. The second coming of Christ. The end of all things is at hand. He caused hospitality to become one of the key ingredients for preparing, focusing on the future. So, it was about 30 years ago that the Lord put on my heart as we were leading a a group there in Southern California, in a a large growing congregation, a message called Hospitality from the Heart. It was a 13-week series that we did. It had such a profound effect on the congregation. I mean, everybody could see. It was unmistakable, the effect that it had. And so people were beginning to say, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. Well, then the Lord left us, uh, called us to leave California to go to the birthplace of the nation, uh, Richmond, Virginia, where we launched this uh, radio program. And from there, we actually wrote the book, my wife and I. It's called The Power of Hospitality the power of hospitality an open heart an open hand and an open home will change your world now, i want to make that book available to you because it is a life changing book for your life your life as a married couple your home your vision for the future your vision as a christian for your children and for your grandchildren to embrace this understanding with you it becomes a kind of hands-on christian living the founder of a large christian nonprofit ministry uh, down in Houston Texas got a, co- a copy of this book many years ago hospitality uh, the power of hospitality And he called me a couple of years ago, and he said, Chuck, that book is so critically important to our ministry that I read it at least once a year. The Power of Hospitality. Jack Hayford endorsed that book. And he said, Chuck, this matter of hospitality is so critical so critical for our times and if these leaders feel that way and God feels that way just maybe you and i should feel that way too so if you want to be come a doer of the word and not just a hearer only and really begin to make a difference where you are to bloom where you're planted and to catch a vision for what that might be what that might look like i urge you to get a copy of the Power of Hospitality. It's a uh, it's on our website. $15. We'll put it in your hands. We've never raised the price on it. We could. Probably should have, but we haven't. $15. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. PO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia. 23255 five, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling now let's get back to the father to the to the man man not mankind but men have been under profound attack for the past 20 years 25 years no question about it sometimes it comes in the form of attacking patriarchy one famous uh, actress, when she was receiving an award just uh, four or five years ago, gave an address and she says, down with patriarchy, down with patriarchy, that's the spirit of the age, to diminish men and to diminish the role that men are supposed to have, the God-given role that men are have to lead their families, to lead their sons and their daughters, and to provide and protect and lead their wives. Let's talk about that for just a moment when we get back. The War on Men and how to focus on the future.
1: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
0: Masculinity in the past 25 years has been increasingly presented as a disease, a blight on mankind, on humankind. A writer, Hannah Rosen, wrote a book titled The End of Men and the Rise of Women. Another woman wrote, manning up how the rise of women has turned men into boys. That's what's happening. Men being turned into boys. They're being intimidated. They're being called toxic. They're being called dangerous, destroying our civilization, and in fact, the opposite is true. Isn't it interesting that twice in the Old Testament, the Bible says that when a country or a civilization declines dramatically, women and children will rule over them. I didn't say that. That's what the Bible says. Women and children will rule over them. God intends for men to take a leadership role, not to demean women, but to take a primary leadership role as men. This plague or accusation that masculinity is a disease has also contributed to the plague of fatherlessness. And here's our problem. The horrible truth is that some 23% of our children in live in America live in single parent homes. That's the world's highest rate by the way. 23%. Nearly a quarter of all America's children live in single parent homes, largely away from their fathers. What do you think the import of that is for a country? What do you think the import is for a sense of security among our children and grandchildren and young men and young women as they grow up it's contributing by the way massively to unwed pregnancies it's contributing hugely let me let me just share some of this with you 85% of all children with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all teens in treatment for chemical abuse are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated by misplaced anger come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state institutions are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison are from fatherless homes. What does that say to you? Children from fatherless homes are five times more likely to commit suicide. 20 times more likely to have behavioral disorders. Wow. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that seeing the devastation that is occurring in the land of the free, increasingly becoming only the home of the brave, largely because of fatherlessness... Do you not think that God would be concerned about that? And if God is concerned about that and has expressed concern about it, don't you think it would be something that we ought to do something about if we had any hope for the future, if we had any focus on the future, both temporally, that is sometime for the next year to 10 years, and eternally, I would think so. So why is it we don't? Why is it that even our pastors and preachers won't get to it? They mealy-mouth about it. They're so concerned about offending women that they offend the men and God continuously. So, what can or should we do? Several years ago, As I was driving my car, the Lord spoke to my heart that he had something to say about this. He brought to my attention Malachi chapter 4, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he would send forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I strike the earth with a curse. And then as I was considering that, I realized that that was the next to last message that God in his mercy as a father brought to the world before judgment would fall upon our world by the wrath of God. The last message is in Revelation chapter 14 where an angel delivers that message saying, Fear God, glorify him and worship him that made heaven and earth. Simple as that. And then the end comes. So God apparently, as a loving and compassionate father, is concerned and knew what the condition would be just before the second coming of Christ. That there would be a war on men, and in addition to that, fatherlessness would increase dramatically. Not just the absence of fathers in the home, but the absence of godly fathering in the home by men who were in the home and not truly fathering their children. So, I felt God giving me a mandate to write a book called Hearts of the Fathers, leaving a legacy that lasts. It's about not only leaving a legacy that lasts for the next five or ten years, but to leave an eternal legacy What does that look like? How can men catch a vision for that in our time when it seems that the whole world and the culture is against them? That's what that book is about. You want to be encouraged for something that you can do? Meaningfully, in the sphere of your own ability and influence to make a difference, to focus on the future both temporally and eternally? Dad's, that's your book. Grandfather's, that's your book. It's not like any other book concerning fathering. Most of them are about, uh, you know, doing nice things for your kids and taking them out to the ball game and buying peanuts and cracker jacks. And, uh, you know, things like that. No, that's not what this book is about. This book is to help men catch a vision. And without vision, we perish. God is trying to rally the men. He wants to rally you, my friend. Don't shrug your shoulders and say, I can't do anything. I don't know what to do. That's what the book is about. This is a lifeline to you, on the near edge of the Second Coming, to do something. As Edmund Burke said, I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I should do, and by the grace of God, I will do. So will you? Will you? Now, you've just been provided with two very powerful t- tools, the power of hospitality And, hearts of the fathers, leaving a legacy that lasts. In addition to that, today we've offered you Dr. Tim Clinton's book, Focus on the Future. A $26 book, $25 book, yours for $22, on our website, saveus.org. Now, here's a situation. You've heard about the millennial generation. You probably have heard about Generation Z. But most of what we hear about is the millennial generation. Well, interestingly, Generation Z is the largest generation in American history and perhaps world history. It's huge. And Generation Z has been said to be the most godless generation in American history. 30-some percent of the entire world's population now is Generation Z. 32 percent. 90 million in the United States. More than 10 million more than either the baby boomers or the millennials. So Generation Z is going to define the future in many respects. What does that look like? If Generation Z is the most godless generation in American history, and we can well understand why that might be, because of the children of the Millennials and their parents. And we've been seeing the deterioration of the culture over the past 60 years. So, we're sounding a trumpet call to... Baby busters, baby boomers, and yes, even millennials concerning the times. Do you really see the times for what they are? Are you just one that wrings their hands and whines and cl- cries about what's going on and doesn't lift a finger to do anything about it and just says, What can I do? What can I do? No. Friends, As Dr. Tim Clinton says, we have to focus on rescuing these two generations, the Millennials and Generation Z, and then the ones that are coming on after that. That is going to require intentionality, and it begins in our homes. It doesn't begin with projects. That's what Americans like to do. They always like to punt to projects. No. That way we think we can provide money to support somebody else to do what we should be doing. This is something you and I have to engage in. And we begin in our homes with our children and, yes, even our grandchildren. There's a power in the family, friends. We can't just focus on the family. We have to focus on the future. If we just focus on the family here and now, we miss the bigger picture of focusing on the family for the purpose of focusing on the future. And that's what I liked about Tim Clinton's book, Focus on the Future. It's on our website, saveus.org, $22. We'll put the $25 hardbound book in your hands. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us. Now, and finally, as we're wrapping up here, we have to make changes. We just have to. We can't continue on doing and being what we've done and, and been and expect change. In my book, Renewing the Soul of America, Written in uh, 2002. 38 national Christian leaders endorsed that book. You know why? Because it talked about what we need to be doing. Not writing and demonstrating and carrying on politically in that sense. No. The emphasis throughout that book and in every single chapter was, if I would do what I must do. I must first be what I must be. Did you remember, do you notice, remember how Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry there in the Sermon on the Mount, has what are called the Beatitudes, the attitudes of being? Why do you think that is? Because the being is more important than the doing, because if you try to do without the being, it's hypocrisy. And unfortunately, it's that hypocrisy that has turned so many of our young people away from the Lord and from righteousness, and they're embracing liberalism, ungodliness, and we can't figure out why. That's the reason, friends. Let's focus on the future, there is hope, not that America will save the world, but that we can change a generation and make a difference in that generation and pave the way for them, for the coming of the Lord. I hope this has been encouraging to you. Remember the books, Hospitality, The the Power of Hospitality, and... Uh, Hearts of the fathers, leaving a legacy that lasts, and then also now focus on the future. God bless, be a blessing, become a partner, send your gifts by faith, friends, as we continue to confront the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. God bless, and truly be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.